Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasilla from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Sarah Coop. I'm a GP and a medical educator. And we're really pleased today to welcome our colleague, Dr. Damien Kenny. Damien, you're a GP from Gloucestershire by background? Yes, I was a GP for 27 years in Gloucestershire. I retired yeah, a few years ago now. Lovely. And the title that you're going to share with us today, the topic we're going to talk about is effective consulting, which I know is a specialty of yours. But just tell us a bit about yourself first, if you would, and, and what led you into this area of interest? Uh, I had always been interested in education, um, both at medical school and subsequently, and then in general practice. And I'd been working as a GP educator when I was asked to help with some doctors who had some difficulties. And it turned out it was mainly consulting. So I developed an interest from there. Subsequently, I became a GP trainer and a GP tutor, helping on the half-day release course and then developing some ideas for helping doctors consult more effectively. So although initially I was working with doctors who'd had some difficulties and needed some particular help with their consulting, uh, I developed it so that some of the ideas were applicable to all doctors. And from there, I developed some resources and I went on to teach other GP trainers and um, other GP educators. And we started to share ideas of how to help our colleagues to consult more effectively. Yeah, Damien, that's such an interesting story because in going back sort of 27 years when you started and I became a GP about 20 something years ago, we often weren't taught consulting skills, were we? It was something that we very much learned as we went, which is fine because that's sort of apprentice learning. But as you said, you really recognise that some doctors who ended up in maybe with complaints or other things that had happened. When we looked at when you looked at that, I guess what you were picking up was there were some issues with their consultant. Kind of just out of interest, what sort of things would come up? Because whether the people who are health professionals are listening to this or people who are patients, we're all familiar in some ways with being consulted with. But maybe before you do that, just define what do we mean by consulting? Maybe just to clarify and then tell us some of the things that maybe you picked up um, in those early years. I think consulting really is just describing the interaction between one doctor, in this context a GP, and one patient, possibly also with a relative. But the essential issues are one-to-one -one conversation. But it's not just a conversation, it's consulting also has an element of attempting to find out what the issues are for the patient sometimes the issues they talk about, sometimes the issues that are a bit more hidden. <clears throat> Trying to listen deeply and understand the issues and then share a discussion which comes to a useful plan or something that the patient can take forward on their own. So I think that's how I see consulting, very much as a, as a listening and sharing. And so asking what sort of things did I see go wrong well, one of them <clears throat> was when the doctor spends more time telling and perhaps assuming that the doctor knows what the problem is and what the answer is. 
So not enough listening, not enough sharing, not enough discussing. So that was one issue, which I I would characterise as more telling. Another major issue that I saw was doctors who were really trying to help, but they were going round and round in circles. So they would perhaps ask a few questions and then start to formulate a plan. And then they would ask another question. And perhaps the answer to that question meant that the plan was no longer suitable because new information had come to light. And so I saw quite a lot um, in the in the first few doctors I worked with, I saw this going around in circles, which I came to characterise as using the word looping. So they would loop. And it was from there I developed the ideas of gathering information and only then moving on to discussing management. Now, when you say it like that, it, says, it sounds perfectly obvious and straightforward. But I observed that quite a lot of the time it didn't happen like that. And so um, that's where I started to work with doctors to try and make them go smoothly from the first half of the consultation, the gathering information, moving on smoothly to the second half. Mm. Yeah, so two things there you've said about asking versus telling, and I'd love to come back to that because that's a principle I often teach in the in the teaching sessions that I run, and I'm very much focused on communication skills. But I'm really interested as well in that sort of going around, you know, in circles and can really see that from a GP perspective, but also I can imagine from a patient perspective how that might feel. And I just wonder what your experience from both really deep diving deeply into looking at this topic, but also just from speaking with so many different people, I would imagine over the years, how, what's important about effective consulting? Why is this important? So you've obviously highlighted some of the issues, but I guess, yeah, just tell us a little bit about your thoughts on why is this so important to kind of improve and to look at and to change and to optimise? I think the, the, the overall answer is that health outcomes are better when the consultation is more effective. We know that lots of patients will get better without drugs or particular therapies, and they get better very often by having somebody listen to them, validate them. And so in the context of a GP, that's done in the consultation. So really effective consulting, during which the doctor really listens means that the patient feels understood and that in itself is often therapeutically positive without the need for any kind of drugs or additional therapy. So if an additional drug or therapy is done as well, then the effectiveness is even better if it's coming from a good connection during the consultation. Yeah, and that, that value of the connection is with the other person as a human, whether it's in a doctor, patient or any healthcare professional sort of relationship is so important. I think it's very easy sometimes to overlook that. But I can certainly think of patients where I've uh, consultations where I didn't prescribe anything and I didn't need to and I didn't need to refer. And actually patients saying at the end, thanks for listening and just seeing the relief on their faces. So I suppose it's just really re- sort of reinforcing, isn't it, the the benefit of, of that creating that connection and deep listening to another human being at that level. And perhaps we'll go on to talk about different levels of listening, because I'd be interested to know your thoughts. What, what about you, Andrew? What, what do you think? What came to me then was um, 
that uh, a prof of surgery was telling us how to uh, consult and uh, Professor McColl at the guys. And he um, he said, listen to the patient. The answer will always come. So that, in a way, is 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 the nub of it. And through that listening, which which um, Damon, you're telling us about sharing with us and, and many nuances to it, it one can make an accurate diagnosis. But if the waters are muddy, to use a, a metaphor, then it must be quite difficult to see things clearly through it. And I'm just thinking also about listening. So maybe if we if we all, the people who are listening to this episode, just think about a time recently when you were really deeply listened to. What was that like for you? And how do you know the other person was really listening? So I don't know about you, Damien, but I often think about nonverbal signs of listening. Like at the minute we we can see each other, so we're nodding, you know, we're maybe using some gestures to show we're listening. But there's also the verbal signs of listening, like you've just done. Mm-hmm. Um, some people yes. call that professional noises, and I think that's an interesting phrase. But I don't know, what would you tell us what your thoughts are on, on different levels of listening, or how do you teach um, somebody who maybe doesn't or hasn't learned how to listen well? I know this isn't something you can tell us all in a podcast of, you know, half an hour, but what might be some some sort of advice you would give somebody who can listen deeply and actively? I think what one thing which some doctors believe is that they can listen to the patient and write their notes at the same time. And I very much disagree with that. I don't think that's possible. It is possible to listen to someone and jot some notes down about what they say, but I would call that just recording data. And that's quite easy to do. But to actually deeply listen means to be looking at the patient, to looking at how they're saying things, their their expression on their face, their eye movements, their shoulders, are they hunched or not, all of these kinds of things. And it involves responding to what the patient says. When we were at medical school, of course, we all learned the lists of questions for each system. And that's very easy to do. You just ask the question and get the answer, but that's all you get. You don't really get an understanding of what's happening. And to do that, you really need to be looking at the patient properly. So I think as a practical tip, uh, I would suggest do not write lots of notes. Um, Perhaps the odd key point um, might be necessary. But if we really listen and then at the end we summarise what's happened, uh, what we've heard, uh, that really shows the patient that we have heard. It does. And it also kind of gives them, it gives them a receipt in a way. I've heard it talked about in that way, that by summarising yes. that, yeah, is yeah. like showing if I've got it. And one of the benefits of that is that then people don't feel they have to repeat, repeat themselves. So it saves time actually in the long term, doesn't it? Because when we think about being listened to, if the person reflects back or summarizes back what we've said it's like okay they've got it and there's a again a relief with that isn't there um i think it's interesting yeah interesting isn't it about this of not not taking notes because time is so pressured in a 10 minute conversation isn't it and i think sometimes i've said that to to healthcare professionals and i really understand we all do that it's so hard how do you remember everything so i don't know what your thoughts are but i've read somewhere about the golden minute i think it was one of the consulting models wasn't it? if we can really give them our undivided attention give people our undivided attention for at least for that first minute then that creates a really positive impression but i don't know what what you think about that no absolutely i think that's very important and 
Um, even before that golden minute starts, I think um, I'm very much in favour of not clouding the water, as it were, at the beginning, by not asking a question. So opening with silence. Now, people say that's weird, but those who have tried it have found it to be very effective indeed. So I don't mean literal silence. I mean something like this. Uh, Come in, Mr. Smith, do have a seat. And then there's the silence. So there's a, a few words of welcome, but no directed question. For example, how can I help you today? What's the problem? Anything like that. If we just give silence with an expression on our face of interest and curiosity and warmth, then nearly always the patient just starts talking and they start talking about what they really want to talk about more often. Um, If you ask a question, you will direct them and they will then search for a symptom perhaps, whereas it, it might not be that that's what they want to talk about. So I think if patients have been sitting in the waiting room and they've been thinking about what they want to talk about and then they come in, a question might distract them. Whereas if you just open with an inquisitive, curious, warm silence, they will just talk. That's really interesting. I can see that. And I'm sort of starting to cover myself with shame because I'm sure I've asked the question, what brought you here today or how can I help you? And that may have thrown people off their their track. Is there a any particular question you can ask? Because some of us aren't comfortable with, with using silence. Is there a, a best question that might be useful to ask? Well, I think there are there are many. Um, one that I use when the opening silence doesn't work, if the patient just sits there wanting you to say something and Um, in my practice, that would happen perhaps once a surgery, Um, then my backup question would be, what would you like to talk about today? And I see that as a very neutral kind of question. It doesn't have any elements of hierarchy or power. It's a very egalitarian and partnership kind of question. And then if the patient does have a symptom, that's fine. But if they don't have a symptom, they can just come with what it is that's on their mind that they want to talk about. So that's mine. What would you like to talk about? I think that's really helpful because certainly, although the typical question we were probably taught again in medical school, as you say, is, you know, how can I help you or what can I do for you or, who, or what's brought you here? Although, Andrew, I have to tell, tell the story. I'm sure it's happened to us to you as well. You know, what's brought you here? Then you get the, well, a taxi or, or my son-in-law. Um, and we only asked that question probably once without feeling a little bit foolish for having asked that maybe again. But I did also read that in some ways, again, if you ask a question like that, maybe people don't always hear the words so much as just the invitation, isn't it? So silence is on the spectrum, on that sort of further down spectrum, just being inviting, like you said, that curious kind of eye contact, the warmth that you're conveying, and you're really just inviting them over to you, aren't you? Yes, um, exactly. So yes. I like that. And maybe just encouraging people to try it out and see how that how that lands. So we've yes, talked a little I bit about I think I have, sorry, I have uh, done that with many people who are a little sceptical and then just try it out. And nearly always they're 
very surprised and pleased with how well it works. <laughs> a bit like the not not sort of going to the computer straight away, just giving that first, at least that first minute of, of full attention and eye contact. And I think it's really important to stress just how much information you can get from watching the, the other person, from their body language and their tone and their gestures. And it actually, again, saves some time because you've already read that information and gained that. Andrew, you wanted to add something, I think. Uh, it's gone, actually. So I was just <laughs> fascinated by how it was progressing. I suppose my next question would be, what happens next? Right. Well, when giving the opening uh, minute or so, that, that's a, it's a good, that's a very good technique. And I think that to show that you haven't gone to sleep, of course, the doctor needs to nod, show eye contact, smile appropriately and make little noises like mm and yes and go on and so on. I call that grunting, but it's called by various names by different people. And I think what we're doing there is just actively encouraging the patient to keep to keep talking. I also encourage to um, encourage the doctors to allow the patient to cover the various aspects that the doctor wants to know about in any order. So we're taught, of course, to explore the patient's ideas, their particular concerns, and any uh, thoughts they have about what treatment may may be appropriate. Um, but these can come in any order. And just by encouraging the patient, very often these will just come out and you don't need to actually ask about them. So when the patient eventually stops talking, then the doctor can ask some specific questions or follow-up questions to fill in the gaps. And if you've been really listening carefully, then it's fairly obvious where the gaps are and you can ask those. If you've been intent on writing everything down that the patient's been saying, then it's less likely that you'll have an understanding of what the important relevant gaps are. You may resort to just going through a tick box checklist of questions, of course, but I'm more encouraging us to really listen to what the patient's saying and go with the flow of them and their particular concerns at this time. And so it might not be necessary to ask all the uh, relevant questions that you would on another occasion, because in this particular case, it's it's not needed. So where do we go? We fill in the gaps and then having established most of the ideas, the story and so on, it's a very useful technique to summarise. Now, I think summarising does not mean uh, saying everything again. It just means briefly recapping the key points and if the patient has a particular concern, it's very important to restate that concern. So summary, summarising has two main uh, benefits that I can see. The first one is the patient knows that you have heard them. And that's really important. If you have not established a particular thing that's important to the patient, this is the chance for the patient to add, add a bit of the story, add a bit of concern or an idea at this stage. The second really useful um, benefit of summarising is that the doctor 
very often realizes they've missed out an important question. As they are verbally speaking the summary, a little light bulb can go off in their head to think, oh, I forgot to ask something. And so at the end of the summary, they just ask that question. Such a good point, isn't it? And actually by hearing that those words spoken out again, for the, like say for the patient, it triggers off something that they need to just either correct or add themselves, but they don't need to go over the whole thing again, or for the healthcare professional to think, oh yeah, so now I need to ask about that. We're just also thinking about, um, well, two things. One, at the end of a consultation, I know from research, when people go away from a consultation, probably only retain quite a small proportion of the information that's been discussed. And I've heard that summarising could be really helpful at the end of a consultation as well to kind of really recap, help people remember can't it, what was discussed and the important action. So that's something I just wanted to sort of put there as well, following on from the summarising tip. I guess another thing is, is people who are listening, who, you know, we all are patients as well as um, those of us who are healthcare professionals. What can we do as patients when we go to a consultation to sort of in some ways help the healthcare professional to consult effectively? I mean, that's a strange question, but what what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I think um, there are a few things. Uh, I think the main thing as a patient is just to say what it is that's bothering you. And although that, again, that sounds so obvious, but it is well known that many patients go and talk to their doctor and don't actually say what it is that's on their mind. They may, for whatever reason, uh, feel that they can't, or they may feel they have to present a symptom. Uh, They may know their problem is due to stress, but they feel that they can't say that. They have to say it's a headache or whatever. And so I would just say as a patient, just be clear what's in your mind and say it. Also, if you have an idea for what treatment you're thinking about, or if you have an idea for what the disease or problem might be, it's worthwhile just saying it. Don't let the doctor guess. Um, Just tell them. Thank you. That's helpful. As a patient, one of the things that can happen when you walk through the doctor's door is you've you've prepared the script, you've maybe got some butterflies and anxiety about it, and then your mind goes blank. And, and the doctor greets you with silence, perhaps, and a nice smile as you're sharing with us now, and interested curiosity, David, or, or maybe asks a question such as, uh, um, what would you like to discuss today? But it's the mind has gone blank. Have you got any any tips as to how to help that? Oh, um, well, I I think that would be for for the doctor just to be patient and to give the patient the space and time to think think of what they want to say. If they don't say anything after a while, then some very gentle questions such as what's on your mind just now might be a way of helping the patient to, to start talking that's helpful that's, that's really helpful having i think it happened to me sometime a long time ago and i when i've been since i've made a brief note of the things i want to talk about or mention simply to remind myself and i think perhaps brief notes may help sarah yeah i'd be interested to know damien your thoughts on a question that i often get asked when i'm teaching on consultation skills people say you know again it's the 10 minutes isn't it that's a challenge and they really want to listen to the patient they really want to get to the bottom of the problem there's a lot to do in that time but one of the challenges sometimes is that um 
you know, just how do you run to time and therefore not overrun and keep other people waiting? But sometimes when there's several problems that need to be discussed, people get a little bit stuck kind of knowing how to sort of say respectfully to a patient um, you know, about the time constraints, but also not, not sort of miss anything. Do you have any advice about... Because that is a big challenge, I think doctors often and other healthcare professionals find. How do they deal with patients when lots of problems are coming up, but there isn't the time to do them all justice, if that makes sense? Any tips on that? Um, I think, firstly, sometimes what might be two problems to the patient is actually only one from the medical perspective. So as an example, um, headache and sore throat maybe two problems to the patient, but actually the doctor having assessed the problem may say this is one problem, which is a viral infection, for example. So if the patient thinks they have four problems, it may only be two or three. One of them might be a simple repeat prescription where there are no issues. So sometimes it is possible to deal with all the problems there and then. And in terms of minutes per per week or minutes per year or whatever, it's more efficient to deal with all the problems in the one consultation. I have seen doctors spend quite a lot of time explaining that they can't deal with these problems now and uh, in spending more time than it would have taken to actually deal with it with certain problems. I think that is the challenge, isn't it? Always trying to work out you know, what's the best sort of use of the time. I mean, one one thing I sometimes suggest that people try is getting the sort of agenda out early. So sometimes what I've is, you know, okay, so you've you've talked to me about the headache that you've come with, just so that I know how to use the time we've got. Were there any other concerns that you'd plan to raise today? So that kind of phrasing just helps you so that you don't find at nine and a half minutes into a consultation, you suddenly you know, I have to sort of say, oh, either you end up running really behind for other patients who are waiting, which, of course, you know, that's that is the, the nature, isn't it, of consulting? We can't always, unfortunately, guarantee that we can run the time because people give people the time we need. But just to get that sort of sense of, okay, what's on the person's mind? And I think that goes back to anything as patients, we want to be clear, don't we, when we go in, this is what I'm bringing to you. Um, as well as that the doctors, it's an art, isn't it, consulting? The, the artist to bring that out. And I certainly think that's a good technique is to to ask for for a list at the beginning, particularly if you know the patient and you know that this person usually has several, then definitely I think it's a good idea very early on to establish the list. If possible, deal with them all on that day. If there's a couple of big things which do need much more attention, then it's worth just discussing and saying which one should we deal with today and which one should we deal with on a separate occasion. Damien, our listeners can't see you. We've got the benefit of seeing you. You've got a lovely manner, and I would be delighted to see you if I were your patient. Um, but one of the things that can happen, particularly if patients aren't, aren't are feeling a little uncertain, um, is that they feel a bit nervous, and so it takes a little time to get safe. Uh, and I feel completely safe with you, and I'm sure I would walk through your door and feel safe immediately. But that safety means that sometimes, and it's almost subconscious, one one offers a little thing first, and uh, is, is he or she going to deal with that respectfully, and 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 can I trust them? And then it's almost you get the patients on the way out, the handle on the door. By the way, I've got this crushing central chest pain. Or sure, yes, that happens, and to 
for, for new patients you've never met before, that can be an issue. But for regular patients, it's probably less of a problem. Yeah, it's, it's sometimes called the Colombo approach, isn't it? <laughs> just in terms of just well, just one, one more thing. And, and But actually, again, as you say, it's, it's often because we need to build up that trust and, and, and respect, and don't we? This has been a really, really interesting, Damien, conversation with you, Damien. I mean, it would be lovely to, to have you back and talk about things in more detail. So I think there's lots we could explore. Just in the last sort of minute as we wrap up, I'm just going to ask you for sort of three, maybe three tips that you would give maybe new doctors or new healthcare professionals sort of entering the profession. They may have had a lot of more teaching and consulting than we did. Um, but what would you give um, your, with your wisdom and your advice? What would you say are sort of three top tips maybe for, for consulting, if you can summarise it down to that? <laughs> I would say definitely listen is the most important. Say less, listen more. And I would also say that summarising can be really helpful, particularly if you ever feel stuck at any point in a consultation. If you're not quite sure what to say, then summarise what's happened so far, and that will often give you insight as to what's missing or where you'd like to go next. And the th third thing I think would be, we, we haven't talked about it today, but I would say sharing and sharing information, sharing a discussion and sharing a plan as opposed to giving information and telling a plan. I think phrasing which is much more collaborative um, is more effective. Yeah, and I think that's why it'd be really good to have you back if you're willing, because I think there are some really valuable tips and advice that we could share that would help um, in consulting to really increase that retention of information when we share information that again leads to increased patient satisfaction but also for the um, healthcare professionals as well so really helpful thank you so much I've learned I've learned a lot from listening to you Andrew do you want to have the final word well just to say I had the privilege of spending a morning with you observing you teaching Damien and it was just amazing and you have put so much wisdom on your website damienkenny.co.uk which any of us can access so thank you so much for sharing that with us um thank you very much indeed for joining us well thank you for having me it's been a pleasure talking to you thank you very much you've been listening to the somerset emotional well-being podcast hosted by our team of doctors from nhs somerset including dr andrew Trisida, dr peter bagshaw and dr sarah cooper the show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.